What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Hello, this is Greg Matthews from the W2O Group. This is the What to Know podcast, and we're broadcasting live from South by Southwest 2018 in Austin, Texas. We are thrilled to have with us as a guest today on the program, Seema Kumar, who is the Vice President of Innovation, Global Health, and Policy Communication at Johnson & Johnson. Welcome, Seema. Thank you. Great to be here. Excellent. So, we've I've been really excited to talk to you because you have this amazing background, and we share... Uh, a little bit of background and passion in health innovation. Um, and I'm curious about sort of how that came to be. And I know that I've been told that growing up in India, uh, you were taught by an early age from your father, who was a scientist um, and an engineer, the importance of a STEM education. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your passion for STEM education, how it impacted your career uh, and your work at J&J? Oh yeah, happy to. So I grew up in India, and when I was growing up, India was a really poor country. It still probably is a poor country, but much better off today than it was when I was growing up. And the culture in India then was such that in order to improve your chances of making progress in life, then science, technology, engineering, mathematics, were important topics to actually pursue. And typically women didn't pursue those topics. I was an only child, my father was a scientist, and uh, he taught me how to love science. And he had a lot of projects, at home projects, that he used to work on that I got to try along with him. And so I grew up loving science, uh, thinking about it as a way to improve myself in life. That is, it's fantastic. And how has that um, sort of impacted the way that you think about STEM education today? Is it something that you still tend to be passionate about with kids and especially with women? Absolutely. I think uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, STEM is really an important aspect. And it doesn't mean that you have to then become a scientist, but having that sort of grounding in those topics helps you be a critical thinker, helps you actually uh, be more curious, Uh, look at things differently in life. And so I think it also helps you get better jobs. Um, And as a result, I think STEM is important. And the reason why there's so much focus on STEM today and STEM education today is because there is actually going to be supply-demand gap. And many kids are not entering into STEM careers. Uh, And even after doing undergraduate degrees, they're actually moving on to financial markets and other types of professions. So what we want to do is, if you're going to be a technologically, scientifically advanced society, we need skilled people who know those topics. And so uh, for that reason alone, and for many other reasons, we need to make sure that we uh, drum uh, the, the we, we, we push the notion of STEM education as an important uh, piece of our overall education. Absolutely. And, and, and I think probably now more than ever, um, the advocacy for science is, um, is critical uh, in, in, in our current environment and, and thinking about our future. Um, you, you've actually been at Johnson & Johnson for around 15 years, uh, focused on R&D and innovation. Can you tell us a little bit about your role there and how it evolved over time? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Johnson & Johnson, you know, we're a mother and baby company, and we always will be a mother and baby company. But what people may not know about us is uh, that we are also an innovation company. And uh, we have um, research and development going on in three different sectors, consumer, pharmaceutical, medical devices. But we also have a huge footprint in external innovation. And we believe that a great idea can come from anywhere, and we're agnostic to where the ideas come from. So we start with the problem in mind. What big problem do we need to solve? Is it cancer? Is it diabetes? Is it heart disease? Is it Alzheimer's disease? And then we say, where can we find the best science? And that's our way of approaching research and development. And so given that external innovation is a big area of focus, we want the world to know that we are a company that not only does innovation, but is also looking for innovation. And that actually, it's, um, it's really interesting. Johnson & Johnson is different than so many other companies in that the business is so broad and touches so many different audiences uh, from uh, the consumer business to the pharmaceutical business to the medical technology business and on and on. Um, it's a bigger challenge, I would think, to be able to reach all those audiences. And I know that um, one of your passions has been the Champions for Science program. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that program and how it's designed to you know, meet some of those challenges of, of relating back to those, uh, those, that multitude of audiences. Yeah, as you said, you know, trust in science is probably at an all-time low. Uh, these days. Uh, and that's not all science. I think that when people think about science and innovation, if they think about GMOs and ro robots taking over our jobs, then science and technology become scary. But the moment you have cancer or Alzheimer's disease or somebody close to you, your family member has a disease, uh, what you think about when you think about science is actually hope. Uh, that it gives you hope that one day there will be a breakthrough treatment that can save the lives of people. And we have, of course, many breakthrough treatments today that saves billions of lives every day. Now, uh, what people don't realize, of course, is that um, because on an everyday basis, science happens behind a lab by typically a man wearing a lab coat with uh, safety glasses, and it's kind of not relatable uh, to your everyday life. And so it's sort of this mystery thing that happens elsewhere, somewhere over there. We only see it in stock images, exactly. right? Exactly, and the, the moment you Google a stock image for science, what you see is that exactly what I described. So that itself is a stereotype because that's not always how it happens. But it seems kind of distant, unrelatable, clinical, uh, scary sometimes even. And so the Champions of Science project is about making science simple, human, relatable, and to take away the sort of the mystery and the myths surrounding science as something that happens over there. Uh, typically, you have either the image of a mad scientist or you have the image of a nerd. Um, but it's really normal people, great people who are doing science. And the more we can make it relatable, um, the better the trust will be. That's fantastic. And I, as you're thinking about those stories that help to make science relatable and help to break some of those stereotypes, how, how do those stories get to the audiences that you care about? What are the primary mechanisms for delivering you know, champions of science to the world? Yeah, we've started off now with social media. 
um, and trying to sort of talk about science that happens. It's not just within our own walls, but science that happens everywhere um, to bring back the uh, awe, the uh, wonder, uh, the enchantment around science back, but also to um, indicate how much uh, science is bringing to society from a value perspective. So we have three pillars, and most of it's around storytelling. So the more you can tell stories about science, uh, the more you can engage with the public um, in relatable ways, the more uh, science becomes something that is um, you know, human. The second thing is we want to inspire the next generation into science, so we are trying to put in programs in place to showcase the younger generation, uh, to inspire others to come into science careers, and then of course by showcasing the impact that it has on society, because not a day goes by, so from the time you wake up till the time you go to sleep, science and technology impact your lives in so many different ways. And I think uh, there's a pretty interesting statistic out there in terms of sort of the volume when you think about the scale of lives that's touched by Johnson & Johnson. You want to run that by our listeners? Yes, we touch a billion lives every day. It's it's hard to imagine, but that is a really, really incredible thing. And if we uh, uh, ever uh, stop to question what's the importance of this work, that is a pretty good sign that the work that you're doing has the ability to impact an awful lot of people in the world. So uh, amazing program. Thank you. Um, one of the things that I think we hear a lot about here at South by Southwest and plenty of other industry conferences is the value of, uh, and I'm making air quotes here, innovation. One of the things that you just talked about in your panel was the concept of breakthrough innovation. And I'm wondering if you could give us sort of a Cliff Notes version of how, that, how you define that term and what it means for you and your work. Yeah, we were talking about breakthrough innovation and breakthrough innovators and what makes for great innovators. And typically, people think about the cult of personality. Uh, and it's the usual Archimedes jumping out of the bathtub uh, saying Eureka or Newton sitting under the tree with the apple falls on his head. But really, uh, breakthrough innovation is not about the cult of personality, but a call to action. And it's not a solo activity either, because again, back to the stock photo, you typically see one scientist peering through a Petri dish. But science doesn't happen that way. It's not a solo activity. It's actually a team sport. And so the Human Genome Project and many other breakthroughs that have happened have happened because thousands, tens of, th tens of thousands of scientists have actually work towards accomplishing something like that. Putting man on the moon wasn't by one single person. SpaceX, I'm sure, wasn't by one single person. So uh, I think Breakthrough Innovators, uh, it's about innovation, but it's also about inclusion as a team sport and about impact solving a big problem for, for, for the world. That, that's fantastic, and I love that summary. That we do really think about the innovator as that uh, sort of that lone person who's you know bringing fire down from the mountaintops. And uh, I, I guess, given that the reality is that breakthrough innovation is a team sport, what does that look like at J and J? What are some of the things that you found you yourself doing and and uh, really embodying through your team to make sure that that continues to be sort of the the normal uh, course of business at, at Johnson and Johnson? Yeah, uh, our culture at Johnson and Johnson and within the innovation community, something that was set up by Dr. Paul Stoffels, who is our chief communications uh, chief. I'm sorry, chief scientific officer, um, is that. 
um, given that it's a team sport, the way we've set up our rewards and recognitions um, programs is such that you're awarded for 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 teamwork, uh, not for not as an individual contributor. And in fact, being an individual contributor is seen as less um, important than being a team player. That's one. And then the second thing um, that we also um, think very highly of is a collaborative culture, both internally and externally. Uh, the not invented here syndrome must go away. And so it's about what, where is the best science? If it came from me, great. But if it came from outside of me, great. I'm going to go after the best science. So the team spirit is both internally and externally working in an agnostic way. So one of the things that I wanted to ask as a, as a kind of follow-up to that is, given that it's uh, innovation is a team sport within Johnson & Johnson, does that concept of team sport ever extend beyond the borders of the company? Absolutely. As I said, external innovation is a key part of how we look at our innovation landscape. But also, these days, uh, the problems that we're trying to solve in healthcare are so big that no one institution can do it alone. And it typically takes a multilateral partnership between industry, academia, foundations, NGOs, governments to actually make it happen. I'll give you one example. Um, we were facing the Ebola crisis, as you may recall. It was a horrendous situation, out of control, and it needed something really breakthrough. And what ended up happening is that three different companies who had a vaccine in their pipeline, along with the WHO, the Gates Foundation, and the European government, the US government, everybody came together to make sure that we had something in place, a vaccine in place, to avoid future um, crises like this. So that's an example of where we all worked together. It didn't matter whose vaccine was better than the other, but we were all rooting for something to bring to the patients over there. That's, it's an incredible example, and that's one where there was no time really to think about, you know, who's going to get credit for what it, uh, everybody just had to throw in, right? I mean, that's, uh, it, it was a remarkable uh, situation, and the response was just as remarkable. Absolutely. So this is a, a place in our discussion where I wanted to get a little bit more personal, if that's okay. Um, we like to help our listeners to really get to know these uh, incredible individuals that we profile in the show. And so I wanted to ask you, what is one thing about you that most people wouldn't know? I love to sing Bollywood songs. And we go to Indian parties and I belt out a few Bollywood numbers. So I love that so much, and uh, I know that this is a podcast, so nobody can see me, but you, uh, you might not know I actually love Bollywood, so I listen to a lot of Bollywood music, and my dream is to actually participate in a Bollywood dance number. So <laughs> that's something that most people don't know about me, but, but yeah, maybe we can you know, share that passion together. Maybe our next podcast should be a duet. <laughs> exactly. A Bollywood song. Oh my goodness. I, I can't even believe that I said that, but that, you, you inspired me. <laughs> so um, I also wanted to ask, and this is, I think as business leaders, we never have enough opportunity to read as much as we'd like. It's something that we found to be a common theme but I'm wondering if you could, as we're helping our listeners to sort of prioritize the things on their list, what's something that you've read recently that really made an impression on you? And it could be personal or professional, fiction, nonfiction, just anything that's sort of on your on the on the top of your reading list. 
Um, I'll actually pick something that I just pulled off my bookshelf and dusted off because, as you know, Stephen Hawking just passed away. And one of the first books I read was his book, um, and I'm trying to remember the title now. A brief History of Be Time? Brief History of Time. Yeah. And so I just put, right before I left to Austin, I pulled that out of my shelf. And that's one thing that I would urge everybody to read is Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time. That is a fantastic uh, recommendation. And I think, um, you know, so many people have uh, have become more connected with his life uh, through the theory of everything, of course, the, the, the motion picture. But that book is one that I think impacted so many thousands of people in terms of the way that they think about science and think about the world. Great recommendation. Um, our last one is, uh, is a little bit of a goofy one, um, but it's another one to help us get to know you personally a little bit. And that is... If you were stuck on a desert island, could only listen to one album for the rest of your life, what would that album be and why? That's an easy answer. Thriller by Michael Jackson. <laughs> All right. And I why could listen that? to that f- for a very long time. For me, that suggests innovation. Uh, innovation in music, innovation in putting words and song together in such a different way it kind of just gets into your bones and it kind of takes you over and you start dancing. Um, It is infectious. It's a fabulous album and I could listen to it over and over again and I would forget that I was hungry or thirsty or dying. I would just keep listening to that album. I think that is the mark of genius right there. That is fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Seema Kumar, for being our guest today. This has been a a wonderful conversation. Uh, This is Greg Matthews for the What to Know podcast. Our guest today has been Seema Kumar, the Vice President of Innovation, Global Health and Policy Communication at Johnson & Johnson. We're broadcasting live from South by Southwest 2018 in Austin, Texas. Seema, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at whogroup.com slash whattoknow.